Torah Resource presents the Rob and Caleb Show. All aboard! And now, from two sides of the same state, here they are, Rob and Caleb. What up? And shalom. Welcome to the Rob and Caleb Show. My name is Caleb Hegg. On the other end of the microphone, that other guy, his name is Rob Van Hoff. What up, Rob? What up? How's Shalom. it? How's it going, brother? It is good. God is good. Yeah. And you know, breath by breath, day by day. I got to tell you, man. Uh, I, before we came on the air, I was going to test our audio, and I I, for, I forgot to do so. But I tried something new, and those on uh, that are watching on YouTube will not know a difference. However, if you're listening on the radio. You will notice that every time we stop talking, now we ha- I, here's what's going on. I listen to a couple of talk shows. One of the talk shows uses uh, some technology, and I tried to find something that was better than that technology because I didn't actually want to try to rip them off or anything. And I, but uh, they use a noise gate, and so I messed around with noise gates, and so I'm using one today. Maybe it won't work. Maybe it will work. But if you don't like it, I'm sorry. Tell us. Um, I, ha- I have a new name for those who watch us. Uh, okay. And it fits with the theme of today's show. Okay. Oh, no. The Watchers. The Watchers. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah, we're going to talk about that. Um, so we have so much. <laughs> we have so. <laughs> Here's what happens when Rob actually prepares. We have so much stuff. You know, actually, when I was talking to there, there were some people that were kind of upset at us and said, oh, well, you, you know, you said that you prepared. This was for a show several times ago. They said, you said that you prepared for this show more than ever, you know, and, and, you know, so basically they were saying that our show is, you know, we don't prepare ever. Here's the deal. When I say we prepare, it means that we actually go online and try to find clips to play and stuff like that. Uh, Rob Van Hoff has prepare, prepared for every single show with thousands of hours. He went to school and got a degree. That's all. So the, I have le- I have letters behind my name. <laughs> well, beyond that, he's he's he, that's called preparation, man. That is called preparation. And me, well, yeah, I I need help. No, he equip the Lord equips each one of his people. to, yeah. to minister to. The flock to be part of the body. I just don't want people to think that we we like just turn on the stuff and, and go turn on the computer and go. That's not what happens. That's what we did. No. <laughs> that might be what you do. Okay, let's get to let's let's start this show off the right way because if we don't get going here, we're never going to be done with it. This is going to be like a four hour show if we don't get going here. Uh, I told you all the, last week that we were going to post bumper stickers up on the uh, Robin Caleb Show fan page. On Facebook, we will do that. You can go now and look, and you will see all these these stickers, uh, sticker ideas. Vote for the one that you want. Please only vote maybe once or twice. You can put like a, your favorite and then maybe a runner-up or something like that. But for the most part, just vote for your favorite because that's what's going to determine the winner. We have The Robin Caleb Show. If you aren't listening, The Hoff is not amused. Deliver the... <laughs> that's a good one. Deliver the sensationalized. Repeat. Reveal. Refute. I'm one of the 36. The Rob and Caleb Show, The Doctrinal Discernment Dudes, 
I think you might know who uh, wrote that one. Um, the Robin Caleb Show, tipping sacred cows every Thursday. And then we have What Up in Shalom, uh, Loudmouth in the Hoff, Exposing Bad Scholarship, One Wackadoo at a Time. <laughs> we don't accept religious trump cards here. And from two sides of the same state, The Robin Caleb Show. Thank you, everyone who has submitted. Yeah, thank you. Sticker everybody. ideas. That's cool. That is cool. Um, let me real quick. I apologize. I need to get my show notes up here. That's okay. I'm, I've got a, a thank you to Justin W. who sent in an email. I a couple weeks ago. I or it might have been last week. I I shared how I was listening to a Chuck Missler teaching while I was driving. It was on the radio, and he was talking that uh, Baal and Mars are equated. In other words, the ancient uh, Canaanite god, Baal, they were actually worshiping Mars. And I was like, man, I've never heard such a thing. Uh, I mean, I studied ancient Near East, you know. Uh, and anyway, and so thanks to Justin W., he emailed me. It turns out that uh, Levi ben Gershon, he was a, uh, he's called the Ralbog. Rabbi Levi Ben Gershon. That sounds he like lived, a bad. That sounds like a bad guy on Star Wars or something. Yeah. <laughs> he lived from 1288 to 1344. He was a rabbinic a Talmudist, astronomer, and astrologer, and he wrote a commentary on First Kings, where he, with the story of uh, of Eliyahu, you know, Elijah and the prophets of Baal, and he wrote in his commentary. So this is a commentary. It's what you know, 700 years ago. He wrote that that was that they worshipped Mars in huh. the constellation of Aries. That's that's how he interpreted. So the earliest, and so thanks to Justin W for emailing that. And that's the earliest we've been able to find. So that's you know, sorry, thirteen hundreds. Uh, so we're trying to find if there's anything older than the year 1300 that supports Chuck Missler's claim that Baal and Mars are equated in the ancient uh, Canaanite mind. I don't think it. I don't think it's true. I think uh, this guy was an astrologer in the Middle Ages, and he made that connection. That that's doesn't really help Missler's case. Well, all right, there so, you go. Anyway, just a little footnote. But at least Missler didn't uh, make it up on his own. Speaking of Missler, we have, uh, we actually, let's, I'll tell you what, let's open the uh, Rob and Caleb Show mailbag. Mail time. Mail time. Mail time. here. I will have you know that that sound clip was actually sent to us by multiple people. That was not just one person who sent that in. Thank you, everyone who sent that clip into us. That's our new mail bag opening music. Okay, so this is from Rebecca. And the reason I uh, went straight to the mail bag is because our second email has to do with, with Missler. Okay, so this uh, our first email is from Rebecca. This is going to be a quick one. She says, we should not sell on Shabbat. How does a business deal with this? What about different time zones of customers? If I'm on the East Coast and shut my shop at sundown Friday to sundown Saturday, is that counted as being closed on Shabbat? Should I leave the shop open and not do anything with it until Sunday? I know TR, Torah Resource, is closed on Shabbat. Uh, I'll talk about that in a second. I'd love to hear what other businesses do. Please, uh, places like B&H Photo, a huge company, which I have uh, bought from many a times, a company run by Hasidic Jews, clo uh, closed the retail shop on Shabbat, but their online store is open. 
They have a notice that they don't process web orders from Friday evening to Saturday evening thoughts, ideas. Yeah, um, we've, we've dealt with this many times uh, with different people asking this exact same question. Tor Resource doesn't actually close our store, our, our online store on Shabbat. What we do is we close down our homepage, uh, so we make it harder for people to, uh, to get to our store. Technically speaking, we could uh, shut down the store each Shabbat, but exactly the same issues. Uh, you know, by the time we shut it down, Shabbat's already over in Israel, so on and so forth. Um, so those kind of things. Uh, basically, what my personal feeling is, and Rob, correct me if uh, you think I'm wrong, but my personal feeling is is that it is up to each individual person. In other words, we make it difficult for people to get to our store on Shabbat. We do that by changing our homepage. If people really want to uh, buy on Shabbat, then they're going to they can get to our store. That's just all there is to it, and they can buy on, on Shabbat. That is not on my conscience, though. Um, you know, I don't put orders together. I don't work on Shabbat. I don't come into the office on Shabbat. I rest on Shabbat, and that's what God has commanded me to do. I am not uh, required to make it so that people who don't believe the Shabbat is important, uh, I'm not required to force them to not uh, buy on Shabbat. We had somebody call one time and ask about Amazon orders. They were selling their, their you know, they, they were a writer, and they were, their book was being sold on Amazon. And this gentleman was very worried about the fact that his book was being sold on Shabbat by Amazon. Well, I tried to explain to him that Amazon is Amazon. Uh, it's up to them and their conscience whether or not they're going to sell on Shabbat or whether or not they're going to put orders together on Shabbat. Ultimately, though, it's the person who's buying it. They're the ones who, uh, you know, it's it should be on their conscience. Uh, that's my personal opinion. What do you think, Rob? Well, that's that's a tough one, too, like with the Amazon, because you could, let's say you place your order on uh, on a Thursday or Friday or something. It could be that the guy pulls the order on Shabbat like he's working in the warehouse, he pulls your order, he packages it and prepares it. So someone still did work on Shabbat to get you your order. Well, that, you know but, what I mean? Okay, but but my my response to that would be if you ever go to the the produce section at the store, someone has worked on Shabbat to get that to you. Trucks have been driving, people have been picking, uh stores have been buying and selling to get you that produce. Same with your meat if you eat meat. Uh, so you can't say that just because someone has worked on Shabbat to bring you, uh, you know, uh, stuff that you can't use it in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a, I mean, we're in a situation in history where it, it does come down to the individual conscience. I mean, that's, that's what we're dealing with here. Yeah. So, uh, Rebecca, in my opinion, I would say that is up to you and how you want to deal with it. If you want to put a different homepage up so that it's harder for people to get to your store, by all means, do that. That's what we do at Tora Resource. Um, but ultimately, it's up to the person who is doing the buying to have a, you know, to be right with God in that respect. Okay, let's move on. Think about even the, even the, uh, the computer network people that keep the networks, the website up. Yeah. Or, you know, I don't know who you call those people. What are those people called? The, the servers and all, all the stuff that keeps the website even working or the internet working on Shabbat. There's people doing that, you know, power companies, you know, I mean, all these things, you go on and on and on. Exactly. Okay. So, uh, the, our next email now, when I first got this email, I didn't, I, to be honest with you, I think maybe the person might've been writing a little bit out of anger because 
there wasn't really, uh, there was a lot of questions that came with this email. Now, since this email came in, I, you know, I, I read the initial email to Rob, and so we were both kind of dumbfounded by the whole thing. Um, but since then, I've actually corresponded with this person. And I want to thank the person, first of all, for writing because, okay, it's, you know, we appreciate emails even if they are heated or disagree with us. That's number one. Number two, uh, maybe we can clear some of this up. Now, was it our last show? I think it was our last show. We talked about uh, the the difference between the Texas Receptus and uh, some other texts. And uh, basically, the King James Version is what we talked about. So this person is responding to that. She says, and I'll leave this person anonymous as well. She says, I have a bit of a beef with your tone and attitude toward Christian Christians who believe that Yeshua is the Messiah. Now, originally, I had no clue what in the world that statement meant. I don't have a beef really with Christians who believe that Yeshua is the Messiah. Yeah, me neither. I don't understand. Okay, hang on. We'll, we'll keep going because okay. this, this was cleared up. She says, number one, no one, not even TR has, Torah Resource has perfect theology. We totally agree with that. Only the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has perfect theology. Agreed. So, I, yeah, not a problem there. No one, not even Torah Resource, encompasses all the facets of knowledge provided to, to man by Adonai. Once again, totally agree. Um, uh, next, no one, nor no one group, is the repository of every gift given to the body of Messiah. Not even Torah Reese's the Hoff and Caleb. <laughs> I like how she worded that. Uh, we I wish do- she would have said loudmouth instead of Caleb. <laughs> but that's, that's great. That, uh, we, we totally agree with that, too. Uh, so she goes on. The more I listen to tonight's show, number 62, the more uh, irritated I become. Since you and the Hoff know everything about everything, please explain. Number one, how the two of you determine that the words of Yeshua will be fulfilled, i.e., see to it that no man deceives you, Matthew 24, 4. I still don't understand what in the world okay, that wait, means. Pa- what she said, since we know everything. Yeah. So, okay, so we are, I guess we're, we're putting out an aura of well, know-it-all. Actually, or- actually, so, so uh, I made a, uh, a sound clip to, I should have played this uh, beforehand, but uh, anytime someone thinks that we are bullies or mean people, I'm going to play we're this. We're know-it-alls. We're know-it-alls. Here we go. Here's my new sound clip. Enjoy. Why do you hate the Rob and Caleb show? Honestly, I think they're vain, stupid, and incredibly self-centered. Oh, yes. Okay, so let's keep going. Um, so, okay, so, so, yeah. <laughs> so I'm not you know, sure. Here, here's the thing. Here's the thing. I've had to email. We are responsible. We've been equipped with certain tools. We don't have all the tools. And not, uh, not just us, every believer. Right. But, I mean, Caleb, you, you and I have. We've been equipped, and we've pursued uh, an a angle that we can offer. Knowledgeably talk about? Yeah, knowledgeably talk about offer uh, what we believe to be scripturally-based perspectives on hot topics. Okay, but... but Now, if people think that that means... And because we're confident in in sharing that, and we are seeing as part of what we're doing, getting clean water to Yeshua's flock, in other words, getting the the junk out, filtering the junk out of the drinking water, so Mm -hmm, to speak, mm -hmm. 
you know, I, I don't make any apologies about that. Yeah, no you know, doubt. That's, but our, I, that's our responsibility. I still don't understand what she means, how the two of you have determined that the words of Yeshua will be fulfilled. What does that mean? We, what? Okay, anyway, let's keep going. I she's, so, I, I, maybe she's, why are, who put you as spokespersons for, oh, I see. for interpreting God's word, maybe? I don't okay, know. okay. Well, uh, okay. Uh, number two, what exactly are the UFO sightings? So now we, we talked about... <laughs> We talked about Marzuli and uh, who was the other person that we talked about? Didn't you just talk about him at the beginning of the uh, show? Yeah, Missouri, uh, Missler. So Marzuli and Missler. We talked about Marzuli and Missler. Both these guys are very big on UFOs and the Nephilim being uh, aliens. We're going to get into that in a few minutes. Um, but so she says, what exactly are the UFO sightings? Personally, I don't really care. I don't understand why this is even uh, you know, a needed topic. They're called UFOs because they're unidentified. unidentified. Exactly. If you want to think that they're alien, green little men that come from a different planet, that's fine. Explain to me how Yeshua died for uh, this world and that world. Did he and, die yeah, on that world don't too? Don't try to tie it in with Genesis 6. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that, and that's what we're going to get to yeah. here. But I mean, the, the whole idea of unidentified flying objects, that's what they are. They're unidentified. Personally, I think that, uh, I think personally that now we're getting into conspiracy theory. So I don't even really like talking about this stuff because, you know, who knows? Personally, I think that the military uh, has done a lot of uh, testing of aircraft and whatnot that, you know, people might see and, and mistake for uh, alien spacecraft. Who knows? Uh, I wouldn't follow my sword for any of it. Do I think that there's little green men that are visiting this earth? No, I don't. If you think that's, that's the case, that's fine. Believe that. But you know what? Chuck Missler and Marzuli, what they're doing is they're trying to tie the Bible into it. Don't do that. The Bible Actually, though, Caleb, I found something in the Bible that I haven't heard Missler or this Thomas Horn guy, any of these could talk about, and I don't understand it, but it says, it, it, uh, it's in Leviticus. Uh-oh, are you saying that there are aliens in the Bible? It says, it says when it talks about the, the Yom Kippur, the seventh month, the tenth day of the month, you shall humble your souls, not do any work, whether native or alien that sojourns among you. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why anybody has not. Yeah, why haven't they picked that up? Jumped on this. Yeah, of course. And then I think you know when I was listening to Tim Hague's teaching on First Peter. <laughs> no. And he says uh, talks about how Peter wrote to the aliens, and and I I don't understand why people have to create all these connections with Genesis six and Nephilim when it's so clear in our English Bible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The KJV says it right there. Yeah. Okay. So, so anyway, when it comes to flying UFOs and, and all the sightings and whatnot, uh, you know, personally, probably military, that's what I think, but it doesn't matter. It's not in the Bible, so why even, uh, you know, it, it shouldn't be a part of faith and practice. If you want to believe in aliens, believe in aliens. That's totally fine. Uh, but don't try to tie it into the Bible. That's the problem. Uh, she goes on, number three, is it you and the Hoff's position that all of the film accumulated of said UFOs is bogus and everyone who's recorded these manifestations, blah, 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 I need to, uh, need to know Greek and Hebrew to understand them. Once again. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love that question. Yeah. Thank you for that email. I know that you might think we're being like smart Alex or whatever, but I, I really, really appreciate that okay, you took okay, the time. Okay, hang on, hang on. And now she, she says something pointed down here at the bottom. I want, I want to keep going with this. Hang on, just say, stick with me here. Now, on to the KJ comments. Note, I am not KJV only. However, 
Please explain why there are verses and in at least one case chapters missing from those Bibles translated from the Codex Sinaiticus as from the pittance of information none but the Catholic Bibles use Codex Vaticanus. I will tell you, and she actually sent over a huge list of all these verses that aren't in the KJ or that aren't in other translations but are in the in the KJV. I will tell you exactly why. That entire list that she sent over of verses are all extremely late. They're not in early manuscripts. They're all in very like the uh the long ending of Mark. All this stuff yeah. you don't Acts find, 15, uh, Acts yeah. 21, there's those kind of You stuff. don't you don't find these uh verses in any early manuscripts. Chances are they were put in there by the church later. And so you have them in very late manuscripts. What the Texas Receptus is, there's no one tra- there's no one manuscript called the Texas Receptus. It's a bunch of different manuscripts that have been put together to make up the quote Texas Receptus. So you have all these late manuscripts in the Texas Receptus. What you don't have, what it, this uh, uh, Codex Sinaiticus is a very early manuscript. It's like third, fourth century somewhere in there. Because of that, none of the later editions, which I personally, most of them I don't think are scripture, uh, most of the editions, all of the editions are not in Codex Sinaiticus. Therefore, they're not in the King James Version Bible, or they're in the King James Version Bible. They're not in other Bibles because other Bibles, like the NASB or the ESV, they say, hey, these are are late. They're probably not original. And so we're not going to put them in there. Right. Rightly so, by and the often way. And often, you know, good study Bibles might have a little marginal note, yeah. too, that gives you that. And what it means is that the scholar, and this is why we side with this type of scholarship, is because we look at all these early witnesses. We look at, you know, let a matter be established by multiple witnesses. We're not just going to take someone from the Middle Ages, you know, word for it. Yeah. You know, just be, like this, like this uh, Ralbog who said that uh, the ancient Canaanites worshipped Mars. Yeah. Because because he was an astrologer, rabbinic astrologer in, you know, medieval France, and he says that. Okay, so now we're we just going to build books and books and books about about how the ancient Canaanites Canaanites worship Mars. No, no, that's not that's not the way we're supposed to build knowledge. That's that's not responsible, and so we have to be careful, and attentive to everything that's on the table with our ancient manuscripts, and that's what uh, that's what we're doing. Your mom goes to college. Um, okay. Uh, she goes on and she says, Below I've provided links of someone who I hope will not be seen as an ignorant, ed- uneducated bumpkin who cannot possibly understand their Bible because they're not reading in it in the Greek. She then gave uh, three <laughs> uh, three audio clips uh, that were like, uh, well, I sh- should say shows of this gentleman. I don't even remember his name. I looked him up. I did. Uh, actually, I spent a day doing research on this guy. Uh, End of that for me was when I saw him debate James White, and James White absolutely demolished him. I mean, just absolutely slaughtered him. And it was kind of just, uh, well, to be honest, it was a little bit, uh, it was a little sad, honestly. Uh, Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, uh, after a lot of research, uh, I just can't take this guy seriously. It's serious anyway. You know, here's here's the deal. What, hey, hey, hang what on. Wa- hang on. Okay, we, oh, no, no, go for it. Go for it. Let's, what do you want us to say? Okay, you know what, everybody? Forget that the Bible was written in Hebrew. Forget that it was in Greek yeah. and Arabic. Just forget that. That just that doesn't matter. It does not matter at all. And there is there is no history, you know, history of interpretation and translations, and that doesn't influence translation at all. There is no history. All you have to do is go to the store, 
pick up a it says holy bible pick it up it, buy it and you got you're it done that's yeah. all you need forever you don't need to grow beyond that is that what people want to hear I, yes I that understand. is what people want to hear that's they what want to hear, hear that they could go just buy it and then go in their house and close the door and read the bible and the they spirit can interpret will it tell however them. they want and they're going to have the truth that's, right. that's just not the way god designed it God designed it where he building a body of people that is multi, you know, generation after generation that build proper knowledge. And then another generation comes up and says, hey, this guy had this right, but he was wrong on here because we've learned more information. Right. And we grow, just like it says in Proverbs 1. It says, Yosef lechach. The, the sage will listen and increase in learning. That's what we're doing. We listen and we increase in our learning. And that's just the fact of the matter. We're not in denial. It's not like the Mormon ladies that tried to tell me the other day that, oh, you need this, this thing. And it's like, you know what? No. Sorry. You, you're, it's coming from this secrecy. Like, oh, you know, we had these tablets and they got translated, but all we have now are the translation. You know, I mean, no. We, God gave us all this stuff. We have ancient Hebrew witnesses, ancient Greek. Yeah, ancient we have the Aramaic. ability. We have the ability to, 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 to find the truth. But people are lazy. Yeah, we shouldn't be apolo- we, we we shouldn't be apologetic. That should be exciting. People are lazy. Say, hey. That's the problem. People are lazy. They don't want to do the work to actually uh, use the tools that the Lord has given us. That's the problem. I I think Rob, you have put it perfectly. Well, when people say, "Oh, you know," it sounds like. Sorry, go ahead. no, go for it. No, I was just saying that. It, it was like, oh, you're just saying that, you know, you. They can't understand it because they don't know Greek. That's not what. That's an oversimplification of what we're trying to say. Exactly. That's, try, that's not what we're trying to say. Okay. So she goes on, and this is. I think this is her main point. Okay. And so this is a good point, and I want to talk about this for a second. She said, and "I heard in broadcast sixty-two, I believe it was, where a negative comments were made about L.A. Marzuli and Chuck Missler. I cannot recall who else because it has been a few days since hearing it." Uh, she, uh, she goes on then. Okay. So I'm not going to read this whole email, but she, our, our whole interaction, she goes on then. And she basically says, Marzulli and Missler have pre have not preached heresy. And therefore we should not slander them is basically the overall point. You know, how dare you talk, you know, they're, they're men of God. They claim to be believers. Um, here's the point. Okay. Here's my response to that. You know, People might think that the only thing that we should talk about when it comes to believe, uh, talk against when it comes to believers is if they deny the Messiah or if they attack the Messiah. What you have with these teachers is you have people who are sitting on the well. They're sitting right next to the well. And they're looking into the well and they got this cyanide. And they're dropping little drops of cyanide in there. And what people are trying to tell us is, oh, no, be kind to these people. Don't, you know, don't blow the whistle. You know, don't say anything bad about these people. You know, Chuck Missler, he has some good things to say. You know what else Chuck Missler, but you know what else Chuck Missler did? In 1999, people literally sold everything that they had because Chuck Missler told everyone that the end was coming at Y2K. He told everyone that uh, the Y2K thing was going to hit and that everyone was going to, you know, it was going to be total chaos. People sold everything. He even moved. He moved from California to Idaho because of it. People stuck their lives on what he was teaching. And it was wrong. And you know what? I'm sorry, but when somebody's going to start preaching aliens in the Bible, 
I just pulled up the K House thing. They've got like one, two. They've got probably ten books on the Nephilim and UFOs. And this this guy we're going to listen to today in some of my clips is Thomas Horn. So I want to get to that. Uh, but yeah, he's got a whole whole page called Aliens Dash Nephilim K House Resource Center, and you can spend twenty bucks, forty bucks for products. Uh, if you want DVD, I guess the point is that I'm not saying that Marzuli and Missler aren't true believers. What I'm saying is, is that they are teaching things that are not true. And therefore I'm going to stand up and I'm going to tell people don't listen to the nonsense. That's what I'm saying. If you get offended by that, I'm sorry. But you know, in my mind, when people are, are trying to tear people's focus away from the Messiah, away from the Bible, and they're putting it onto nonsense, like, you know, aliens and the new world order. If you believe in aliens, that's fine. If you believe in the new world order and that all this stuff is being controlled by, by guys, uh, you know, some secret group. Okay, fine. But do you really think that that's where we should be putting our energy and our time? No, we should be putting it into the word and the word doesn't talk about this kind of stuff. The word talks about the salvation of the Messiah. Focus on that. Focus on the gospel. Focus on being good to your neighbor. Focus on loving your neighbors yourself. Don't focus on this nonsense where people are are leading us, uh, you know, down a, a path of it's just nonsense. Specu- it's like this. It's like a big room of speculation, and then people get. It's yeah. Anyway, let's. Uh, yeah. Do you want to do some of these clips? Oh, I'd want to do some of these clips. Okay, so let's first set this up. The way that this came about. Well, actually, okay, so, <laughs> yeah, we started looking into the Nephilim a little bit, and we did that because of, of uh, people like Marzulli and Missler. Uh, we talked a little bit about them last time. Uh, Rob started looking into the Nephilim. I went in a totally different direction for this show. I, I went into, I, I wanted to ask you questions. Rob, uh, Rob wrote an article, a review of Andrew Gabriel Roth's Aramaic English New Testament. And, uh, I think he did very well. We had some feedback on this. And uh, so that's the direction I went. So I think we'll talk about the Nephilim first because I think that this is going to be uh, the most fun and probably take up the most time. Yeah. So we could, we could save the, the Aramaic thing to next week too. Okay. If we have to, we will. So uh, set this up for me, Rob. I haven't done any of the work on this. Rob's well, done all of it. What I did first is I went to... Uh, I wanted to, you know, pursuing, you know, like uh, Justin W. had emailed us the, that link to or like an early interpretation that associates Baal, you know, the old Canaanite god with, with Mars. So I went to Chuck Missler's website, to K-House, and I was looking around and I found that Aliens Nephilim page. And I'm like, wow. So then I started looking at these books that he's selling and DVDs and quite a library there available. And I looked at some of the authors where well, there's this guy, Thomas Horn. And I'm like, oh, I want to see what he is about. So I Googled him, found some YouTube interviews with him. And one of these places called Prophecy in the News. It's like a web news uh, program with two hosts sitting around a table and they interview people. Well, uh, Thomas Horn was interviewed and I just started listening to that. And so what I did is I've got like seven clips audio clips that are taken from that uh, interview. It's, it's program 5811 on Prophecy in the News on YouTube. You can find it pretty easy. Interview with Tom Horn about his book, Stargate, I th- or Stargate, Nephilim Stargates. And uh, 
I, what I did is I just one through seven, these clips here are taken sequentially from the talk. And just to set it up, they're talking about UFOs. They're talking about what is, the, who are the Nephilim, Genesis 6, and how, what does this have to do with uh, today and et cetera. So I just pulled these clips out that to me uh, are important to pause, to listen to, to pause, and then talk about, to comment on. And I have specific comments I want to make on these seven clips. And it might take a while. You know, some of the clips are about a minute long. Okay. So you just want to start with number one? Yeah. And I don't know. You know, I'd never heard of Thomas Horn before I found him on Missler's website. I've heard um, of Thomas Horn. Apparently, he was a, you know, my understanding is that he was a pastor for many, many years. And he had uh, kind of these out-of-body experiences or something of that nature or has seen what he calls a UFO. So he, he's coming from a perspective where he really believes, you know, that, that the stories that other people are telling about UFOs and alien abduction and things like that fit his story personally, and I think even his wives, his wife's story. And so... Oh, I thought you said wives. I meant to say what his <laughs> wife, singular. I think she had a similar experience, or I'm not sure. But um, anyway, so he's, he's coming from a perspective to read the Bible uh, from from the view of someone who believes that they've been through this kind of experience. And then they're finding not only, and this is where we're going to get into uh, specific comments I want to make, where he's looking at other books like the book of Enoch or the book of Jasher. And one, one, one clip mentions the Zohar. And so there are these other texts then that are taken and woven into the story that fits their personal experience. Okay, hang on. So in other so, words, so, it's so not you, just the Bible they're looking at. Okay, so not just the Bible they're looking at. Uh, am I starting with Nephilim 1? Is that the clip you Nephilim want? Nephilim 1, yeah. Here we go. In fact, the ancient book of Jasher says, uh, uh, in Jasher 4.18, it says, and after, after the fallen angels went into the daughters of men, then men began to teach the mixing of, of, of creatures of one species with another in order to provoke the Lord. Hmm. And I, when I first found that text, I thought, well, it certainly would not have provoked the Lord if you were talking about hybridization. Breed one animal, or breed one horse with another horse. Right. It, it, you had to interpret it literally. They began teaching right after. The fallen angels went into the daughters of men. They began teaching the blending of one species to another. Why would they have had to do that? That's the answer to the Stargate. Mm-hmm. Very good. Okay, so I, 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 first let me tell all of our listeners, I have never heard any of these. I haven't listened to these clips. So this is all, I'm, I'm hearing it for the first time when you are. So this is, yeah, this is, that was Tom Horn on the, on the show, Prophecy in the News, and it's fairly recent in can, the last year, two or two years, I think. Can I give you my initial uh, reaction oh, to that clip? Oh, sure, yeah. Uh, my initial reaction to that clip is that he's now put the book of Asher as, Jasher, 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 whatever. He's put the, uh, that book on uh, par with Scripture because he's, he's automatically taking it as truth. Well, here, here, yeah. Well, here, notice, play the first couple seconds of that one again. In fact, the ancient book of Jasher Pause says... Right there. Uh, okay, there. The ancient book of Jasher. Well, if he had done any homework, he knows that what we call the book of Jasher is, was written in the late Middle Ages. As a, as a <laughs> compilation of all these rabbinic midrash, you know, earlier 
uh, rabbinic so, so stories wait, wait, woven you... into the story, and then it was sold as the Book of Jasher, and then someone found it and translated it into English in the 1800s, selling it as the Book of Jasher, as referenced in Joshua and Second Samuel. Wait, hang on just a second. So when you say that it was, it was uh, written in the uh, beginning of the Middle Ages? No, late Middle Ages. So what, what time frame are we looking at Like here? probably between, you know, the 13th through the 1600s, somewhere in there. So super late. One, one uh, rabbinic scholar dates it, like a critical uh, Hebrew scholar, dates it to 16th century Italy. Wow. So See, people, Reformation. people have been, ever since the printing press, the printing press made some people a lot of money. People realized that if they could print a book and sell a book, they could make money. And you have all, all these books then that start being written um, as ancient and pawned off as like, oh, ancient books. Because people didn't, couldn't check. You couldn't, you couldn't <laughs> you know the history. It's like, oh, here's a book. This is the book of Jasher. And the same thing now. So he says this is the ancient book of Jasher. No, it's not ancient. It's a, it's, it's a forgery, you know. And not only that, not only that, I have, it in, I have the Hebrew book of Jasher. Now he says that the fall, after the fallen angels went into the daughters of men. No. The book of Jasher says... It says Shoftim Vishotrim. It says, and their judges and officers. No. There are no fault in the entire book of Jasher. Let's just say, let's put aside the fact, like he says, it's an ancient book. It doesn't even matter. There are no fallen angels in the entire book of Jasher. Book of Jasher understands Genesis 6 to be talking about human judges and officers. This is a perfect example of what... Not fallen angels. The only angels that occur in the book of Jasher are, is the angel of the Lord who speaks to Enoch. Enoch doesn't have any kind of heavenly vision or anything like that. It's just the angel of the Lord that teaches him. And the angels that visit Abraham, right? The three angels. And the only other time there's angels in the book of Jasher are when the Lord looks down at the building of the Tower of Babel. And he says to 70 angels, Let's, let us descend and confound their languages. That's it. There are no fallen angels. There are no Nephilim. There is no idea of aliens, uh, uh, you know, taking uh, female or uh, human women and having, uh, uh, you know, some kind of uh, deformed or giant offspring, nothing like that. No giants, nothing like that in the entire book of Jasher. But yet he he's teaching and he's selling a book based on the idea that people don't know, people don't know how to question him on that. So he says, oh, the ancient book of Jasher says fallen angels went into the daughter's men. No. There are no fallen angels in the entire book of Jasher. No, no. So right off the bat, not only is he representing, taking this book that's a forgery and saying it's ancient and lending it some sort of authority, but that he's misrepresenting, he's rewriting the, the very forgery to make it fit his agenda. See, and this, but this goes back to your, your point earlier about, you know, the pe- people not getting down on us for wanting to know the, the Hebrew and the Greek. No one, yeah. if you don't, if you don't read Hebrew, then you would never be able to look at that book and say, it doesn't say that. See, so yeah. people can peddle this stuff all yeah. they want. They're selling, they're selling like this sensationalized speculation and it gets, okay. Right. And at, during this whole show, this whole show is like an hour long. Every 15 minutes they say, Hey, here's the, and they show a picture of the book with an 800 number, 1495. We think you should buy it. <laughs> you know, seriously, that's what they're doing. Should okay, we do that on our show? Is, should we do that on our show? <laughs> 21.99 well, yeah, what, what books not to buy 
$21.99. Get the letter writer from tour. Okay. Um, are we moving on? Or are you? Are yeah, we the still- next clip is one of the hosts named J.R. Church. He's one of the hosts of Prophecy in the News. Go ahead. Now, the book of Enoch says there are only 200 of them that descended down onto Mount Hermon. I have a feeling that was just the advance team, <laughs> you know, and then yes. they brought all the rest of them down. Hang on. Can I stop this real quick and ask you a question? You've listened to more of this than I have. Are they now suggesting, have, have they just straight moved to believing that this is, that this is aliens? Or are yeah, they this, saying- guy, this guy, well, this guy, he'll get into that. But this J.R. Church guy publishes a book called The Ancient Book of Enoch, the first book ever written. What? And they go through a whole teaching on the Book of Enoch. <clears throat> Should we explain first- what the Book of Enoch is for our listeners? Yeah, it's, it's a comp... <laughs> The book of Enoch is, there's a bunch of different books that were written or texts throughout the Second Temple period and into the rabbinic period that are all called Enoch. And then at later times, they were stitched together and called the book of Enoch. So, but basically, we have just different traditions in the Second Temple period, late Second Temple period, people saying, oh, this was Enoch taught this or Enoch taught that. Yeah. So anyway, and, so, and wait, hang on. And there's and there's uh, like four four authors in the quote book of Enoch that we have today, right? Is it four yeah, authors? Yeah, there's there's different books from different periods that have been that are later stitched together. And by the time you get to our Ethiopic version, or is it Armenian? We don't even have you know you know. Then they've all been stitched together, and it looks like one giant book. Yeah, exactly. Book of Enoch, but that's it's very late. Okay, let me let me keep, have that. Let's keep going with this clip. Then I rewound it just a couple of seconds. Here we go. Okay. And then yes. they brought all the rest of them down. How true. Until this world was so corrupt, only Noah was still perfect in his generations. The King James Version puts it. I, I think that means genetically pure. And he and his family were the only ones God could save. I believe that. Okay, hang on just a second. Okay. So, <laughs> so I, want, I want to make sure, I, want to make sure I, I understand here. They're suggesting that this is aliens, not demons, right? Because those are the two main views. The two main views... Of the Nephilim, I shouldn't say main views. Those are the two, uh, well, yeah, I guess main views by people that I've seen teaching on the quote Nephilim that it was either angels or demons, right? Yeah, well, one of the other clips, they get in more detail to that. Okay. They're like fallen angels. Well, the book of Enoch says that there's angels that come down. Now, the earliest story we have of this is, is fairly late, but there's angels that come down. There's 200. They make a pact together. And they take human wives and have offspring, and their offspring are 3,000 cubits tall. Yeah, there's reasons why the Book of Enoch— 3,000 cubits tall. Okay, that's how tall. It says their angels that are—or their offspring are giants that are 3,000 cubits tall, and that they, they eat each other. Yeah, there's reasons that the Book of Enoch was not canonized. Good reasons, by the way. So, so but listen to what—they just take the little bit— just like he took, just like he took from this ancient book of Jasher, he took this little <laughs> bit and then he twists it to say "fallen angels" when in fact it doesn't. Now, now they jump to the book of Enoch, where it says two hundred angels took a covenant together and descended and took daughters of men as wives, and had giants for offspring that were three thousand cubits tall each. Okay, uh, and then he says, "Oh, but." Uh, then he says the King James Version says Noah was righteous in his generations. He takes that to be DNA, to be gen, uh, a genetic, and that's why only God could save Noah. In other words, Noah merited something. 
Noah's it was Noah's gene pool that allowed God to save Noah, where everybody else's gene pool had been corrupted. That's that's where they're going with that. Okay, next clip. I know it's a lot, but we got no, no, no. You're, no, you're you're doing fine here. <laughs> I, I, by the way, hang on. I want to clear this up for anyone who might who might be confused right now. Rob and I do not believe. Actually, I've never asked Rob this question, but I can assume that Rob and I both do not believe that the Nephilim talked about in Genesis were either demons or angels. We have no evidence whatsoever scripturally that that's the case. In fact, I would say that there's evidence contrary to that scripturally. Okay, so so when I say these are the main views, I mean that these are the views, the kind of the wackadoo views, and you get wackadoo, these wackadoo views from books like the Book of Enoch, which is not canonized. It's not canonized. It's not canonized. It's uh, you know, there's a reason why it's not uh, part of the scripture. Okay, let's go with uh, clip three. Now this is Thomas. And Warner. also, even when you follow through um, Nimrod, uh, Genesis ten, and Nimrod began to be a Gaborim. And many scholars believe that the Gaborim are in the bloodline of the Watchers and the Nephilim, that they are the offspring of the Nephilim. What a fascinating statement. Nimrod began to be mm-hmm. a Gaborim. Okay. So <laughs> obviously he's not studied Hebrew because Gaborim, you know, the way he's pronouncing it, first of all, Gaborim is plural. And so it says he began to be a gibor before the Lord, a mighty hunter. And giborim is used throughout the Tanakh. There are, there are giborim, mighty giborim, or warriors in Israel. The Lord himself is called uh, El Gibor, a mighty god, or, a, or a, a warrior. We sing it often, El Gibor, and, yeah. And, uh, and there are enemies of God that are called giborim also. They're just warriors. Yeah. So this idea that now there's this now we have this class of alien called Gaborim, and they're of the they're of the bloodline of the Nephilim, and that Nimrod began to be. And what the, what he goes on to say in the interview is that Nimrod's DNA changed. That Nimrod was one type of human, and then sometime he began he his DNA shifted, and he became uh, like this hybrid. Uh, a gibor, a, a gibor now, Ooh. and that. Um, <laughs> oh man! So it's just horrible. Now here's the thing: if he would have stuck, if he would have stuck with the Book of Jasher, the Book of Jasher says that the the garments that God made Adam and Eve were handed down through Seth and then th- through Noah, and that and then uh, Noah's son stole them. Uh, Ham or Ham sold uh, stole them, gave them to Canaan, and then Canaan gave them to Nimrod. And Nimrod, it was when Nimrod put on uh, this garment that he began to be mighty. But it said the Lord did all these things for him. So even it's not even uh, that he's against the Lord in the Book of Jasher at first, because the Lord's given him victory in all these battles. So it's just this idea of they're picking and choosing texts, and then. Smashing them all together. Twisting them crazy way away from the context into building a some sort of structure that reflects what they want it to say back to them. Okay, next verse. And wh- next. Which, which clip are we on? Are we on number four? four? We're on number four now? Yeah, this continues the Nimrod stop. 
And suddenly it says in Genesis 10, he began to be a Geborim. The very next chapter, what does he do? He sets out to build a tower whose top would reach into Shemayim, the dwelling place of God. I've, all, I've often wondered if when he began to become something different, were his eyes then suddenly opened to a plane of existence that the watchers would have been able to see, but had been closed off to humans. And suddenly he goes to a specific place, and he starts building a tower. This, too, could be forbidden technology. What? Okay, okay. So, or, see, to okay. me, okay. So, now, here, here's to me we're First in... of all, in the Bible, <laughs> Nimrod does not build Babel. There's a bunch of people, get all the, langu- all the people you know, become one language, and they say, let us build. Nimrod, now it's in Shinar, which, which is associated with, with uh, Nimrod, but, but where he's getting this is now is back to the book of Jasher and other extra-biblical traditions that associate Nimrod with the building of, with leading the, the building of Babel, the Tower of Babel. And so here again, he's, he leaves the written, he leaves the, the foundation of Scripture, latches on to these, um, what do you call them, fables, Non-canonical books. Non-canonical, sometimes Jewish fables, and then builds a picture that is really convincing. If you didn't, if you didn't check the sources, if you just take his word for it, then it's like, wow, I want to buy this book. This guy's on to something. But Rob, don't you think that that happens today in our day and age with the rabbis? People do the exact same thing with the mission in the Talmud. They build up these, you know, as if it's scripture, like, oh, look, the, the rabbis say this, and th- so it must be true. And they build up these really nice, uh, you know, midrash or these stories or whatever from the rabbis. And then they try to pawn it off onto the messianic movement as, 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 as if it's like solid truth. Right. Let's go to clip five. This all kind of fits the same theme here. Uh, watchers is a term that Enoch, uh, an extra biblical prophet, used, but who is quoted in the New Testament, the book of Jude and Peter, both refer to his writings. And um, he tells the story of 200 very powerful angels mm-hmm. called watchers mm-hmm. who came down from heaven, uh, and these were the ones who set about to create the Nephilim. So, so he takes, he says, he writes. So he believes that Enoch wrote the book of Enoch. Even though there's obviously four different wait, wait, authors. Yeah, yeah. We don't, we don't, we don't have any... The, old, the closest thing we have in the book of Jude, in the epistle of Jude, is it says, as Enoch said, and so there's an oral tradition associated with Enoch about God coming to judge the world. But it's not... Uh, and it's, but even, even if you look at what Joe, Jude qu- quotes and compare that with the extant fragments of, of Enoch... It's, you could tell it's, it's got oral tradition written all over it because it's, it's not the same. It's not like there's this Yeah, it's not a text. quote. It's, it's not very, a quote. It's different. You can tell that, yeah, it's kind of saying the same thing, but it's, it's, it's very different. And so... Well, and, and you know, my, my dad has always said this to me because I went round and round with my dad about Enoch in the book of Jude. Uh, and that's what my dad and I do. We go round and round about stuff until we've hashed it out. And my dad's, one of my dad's point was if you say uh, you know as Luke Skywalker said may the force be with you do people actually believe that now you believe all of the Star Wars story is not only a story but it's true no it's something that's very famous in your time and people understand that well Enoch was a very famous book in the time uh, well or so we 
So I think, maybe I shouldn't even say we, so I think, I think it was famous. We, they uncovered uh, several different pieces of it at Qumran, so at least the Qumrani com- community, uh, you know, enjoyed yeah, the book. Yeah, people had associated Enoch with, with uh, heavenly visions and all this, but that's not what Jude does. Jude just says Enoch prophesied, saying, the Lord will come with many thousands of his holy ones. Right? That nothing about uh, writing a book. Jude doesn't tell us that Enoch wrote a book. Uh, Jude doesn't tell us that Enoch traveled to heaven and did all these things that other people are telling us Enoch did. So, yeah. So, either way, you know, it might be that Jude never saw a book and just knew this, you know, heard, was heard this saying, you know, this saying of associated with Enoch. There's a lot of messianics today and they t- and I've heard this in numerous teachings from messianics that uh that Jude surely believed that the book of Enoch was scriptural because he quotes it. Yeah, and therefore I don't, I don't think that's And therefore we should take it as scriptural. This is nonsense. That's total nonsense. Uh All he says is that Enoch prophesied. Enoch, that's... I don't think I can pull that list up again, but from the work that I've done and the work that I've seen done on the canonization of the apostolic scriptures. I don't think there was ever a time when Enoch was considered scripture. I don't think there was ever, in all of the lists that I've looked at, I don't think anyone has ever mentioned Enoch as being scriptural. So it just, it, the evidence is not there to say that anyone ever thought that Enoch was scriptural, except for possibly the Qumranis. Okay, are we moving on, uh, clip six? Yeah, and by the way, you know, he, he mentions Peter talking about Enoch. Peter never... Peter might allude to uh, certain uh, things that sound like Enoch, but he never mentions Enoch or says yeah. it is written in Enoch or anything. It's only Jude that specifically says Enoch prophesied and then gives uh, that, that verse, Jude 14. Okay, next, yeah. Uh, we're on number six, right? Number six? Uh, clip six, yep. By the way, you remember the book of Enoch? Uh, now, in the Zohar, the rabbis wrote that these angels were seen going through the sky, uh, much like the birds in the opening chapter of Genesis. Mm-hmm. This, this was written in the Zohar. Mm-hmm. But Enoch goes on to say that they didn't, and by the way, from this came the idea that angels had bird wings, you know, white, white uh, feathers, and uh, mm-hmm. they could fly. Uh, which is not really aerodynamically designed for this atmosphere. That's true. But Enoch said they flew around in flying houses. Absolutely. And that fact. he entered these houses and looked up and down the hallways and saw what the floor was made of and the walls were made of. It's he amazing. uses the term flying house, which I think is fascinating. Do you know how many times they use the word interesting and fascinating? <laughs> I'm sure, I think each one of these clips are like, and it's interesting that da-da-da-da, and it's fascinating that da-da-da-da-da. It's I think just is, like these what, words of, of what I think don't is, really mean anything. What I think, Rob, is interesting and fascinating <laughs> is that they went to the Zohar. Exactly. And he, then he says, and then he quotes the Zohar, or he says, the Zohar, da-da-da-da. And then Enoch, and then he says this, Enoch goes on to say, so he's now stitching, he's taking the Zohar, which was written in the, 14th century or 13th 14th century Spain right <laughs> and then he's taking and he's taking a little he doesn't even quote it but he just kind of says the rabbis there talk about 
It and says somewhere he, on the internet. Yeah, and then he goes to Enoch, <laughs> and he stitches them together like there's a seamless story here that's just there. And it's it's just like, oh, my goodness. And they're so, you can tell, they're so, uh, they're enraptured, enwrapped. I don't know what the word is. They're just caught up in this um, fantasy world. They're I'm, caught up in a fantasy world. Yeah. That's, that's what I think. And they're just, they see all these texts as somehow, you know, reaffirming every, everywhere they look. I'm, they I'm see still, aliens I'm, sorry, I'm still not sure. Are they suggesting that uh, it's demons or aliens? They, he, they say that the watchers, the watchers came down and created the Nephilim. So which is which, though? And that somehow that they're all tied together. like As demons or as a- aliens? As, as aliens. And de- the aliens and demons kind of are in the same realm. They're not... The, he says are, that they're, did, they are if, not human and not angel. Okay. If, that they, but through interbreeding, through in, this, is, this is Horn's point, through interbreeding... They created a new category of being that was not according to God's order. See, God, God created angels and he created humans. And so the, the, the watchers, who are these angel, fallen angels, they wanted to create a habitation for themselves, but they couldn't do it in, in the angelic realm and they couldn't do it in the human realm, so they created a hybrid being, the Nephilim, through uh, mixed wait, seed, I, and then they could inhabit that. But doesn't it? But doesn't it fall apart because this is all before the flood? And you know, apparently God wanted to, to get rid of all of you know, according to but these. The, but they say that the spirits are still around because they can't. They can't go. Then what to was hell the fl- Then what was the for, flood for? What's that? What was the flood for? To wipe out the mankind. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, it's the wipe. I'm just, I'm just telling you. Okay, come on, we got to keep going because we got more clips here, man. Okay, so what, what, <laughs> what number are we on? Number six or seven? This is the last one. Seven. This is the last one from this from Tom Horn. Here we go. But Isaiah the prophet uh, says this concerning. Um, this is, by the way, from the Greek Septuagint. So I hope it's okay to quote from that. Uh, Isaiah thirteen one through three says the vision which Isaiah son of Amos saw against Babylon, mm-hmm. Iraq or the location of Iraq, lift up a standard on the mountain of the plain, exalt the voice of them, beckon with the hand. Now listen to what he says. Open the gates, ye ruler. I give command, and I bring them. Giants are coming to fulfill my wrath. Now, this is a prophecy about the end time. Babylon is going to be destroyed, and at a time when it's being destroyed, God orders it's almost like when he sends the great angels down, you know, in the book of Revelation to, mm-hmm. to have a key to a pit. He orders uh, somebody, a ruler, to open a gateway through which, this literally says the Gaborim in the Hebrew, that he brings back the Gaborim to fulfill his wrath at the end of times. It's like the new, it's like the new go-to now for Messianic teachers. They don't know any Hebrew, they don't know any Greek, but, oh, you know, the Hebrew word here is this. No, but why, did he, why does he quote from the Septuagint? Well, an English translation of the Septuagint. Right, and why? Because it has this word, gigantes in there, giants, because they translated this word uh, giants. But if you read, the he, he didn't read the Hebrew or a translation of the Hebrew. Why? Because it doesn't it, fit it's his It's not there. Yeah, it's not so there. He, so he's, it says, in the, in 
Isaiah 13, it says Giborai. It says the Lord brings his mighty ones, his warriors. Well, that's the same thing we've seen. Um, Gideon is called a warrior. Joshua God. is called a Gibor. God, God is called himself a war- is called a Gibor. <laughs> yeah. so, so, but, but because he can't, he can't get there with any English translation of Isaiah 13 that he has from the Hebrew. So he has to go to this old translation of the Septuagint that has the word giants in it. And at least in the English translation of it, and he has to read that. <laughs> you know, and so what we have, exam- so we've got the Zohar is quoted or mentioned. Jasher is totally misquoted and misrepresented. Enoch, and now we have, can I read you the, the Septuagint of Isaiah 13? It's just crazy. It's craziness. The guy, and, and I think he's probably been very successful. He's selling a lot of these books, uh, this idea of Stargates and, and Nephilim and all this kind of stuff. You know what? I, I, I know that there's, there are such things as unclean spirits and, and demons. Yeshua cast them out of people. We're, I don't think we're, we're supposed to focus on him. Yeah, that's right. Right? We're, we're supposed to, to, to wash ourselves in his word and to fill our minds with his word and his wisdom, not try to figure out and, and chase these, these things that Scripture just, don't, it just doesn't it's, clarify it's for us. We have to be okay with not knowing these things, but trying to, to get into this world of, of speculation and sensationalism and uh, it's just, I, I don't think it's, it's tickling ears. Yeah. Yeah. They, mm-hmm. I, I saw a bumper sticker one time. I, I forget what the bumper sticker said, but it, basically this whole car was plastered with these bumper stickers. It was talking about how God hates war and God would never, uh, you know, God is love and, you know, uh, we need to love and pull our troops out of everywhere because, you know, God wouldn't want us to be fighting or anything. And I remember my dad looking at me and saying, I wonder if they know that one of God's titles is El Gibor. A mighty warrior. <laughs> All right. It looks like we have two clips left here. All right. Yeah. From you. Okay. And uh, we're moving. We're moving clips now. This isn't the same guys, right? Who is this? Well, I found as I was, you know, you know how like if you if you watch a YouTube video, then that you're there's a right column margin that gets filled with similar yeah kind of things. Okay. So I saw that one was uh, Jim Staley, who we've actually had on the show before. Yeah, Passion for Truth. Um, passion for Truth. And it, I think it's a, a year or two old talking about the Nephilim. I'm like, okay, I want to see what he has to say. And so I've got two clips from uh, Pastor Staley's uh, teaching on the Nephilim. Hey, I should say, be, uh, just a disclaimer, just because we've had uh, Jim on the show before, he's a great guy, but we definitely do not agree with everything that he says. Uh, so let's listen to one of these clips. The Nephilim means giants, Okay. The root word, now this is interesting, is nafal. Nafal means in Hebrew to fall, to lie, be cast down, to fail, or reject. Okay? So for all intents and purposes, the children of these fallen angels were cast down, failed, rejects. Okay? Uh, Hang on just a sec. Is, is, Is Staley taking Nephilim as angels? No, he's saying that they're, they are, well, we got to, okay, I'll, I'm sorry. Was that the whole clip? Down, no. failed, rejects, okay? Uh, these were mutants, if, 
it's, for all intents and purposes, that's exactly what the Hebrew word is saying. These are mutants. These are uh, fallen mutants, children of, uh, of the enemy, children of the fallen angels. There, the so, Nephilim are the mutant children from the sons of God and the daughters of men. Now, here's an interesting picture I want you to look at. Everybody knows uh, you know, what this is, the centaur. Greek gods or Nephilim. Now, I want you to continue to look at that for just a second. Half beast, half man. He's got a picture of a centaur. Yeah. Okay, so, and if you watch the video, he shows a picture, yeah, of, a, of a, an ancient, like, Greek carving of, you know, a horse body with a man's torso, you know, with a weapon or something. And so he goes on to suggest that that is, like, what the Nephilim were and that they were, in fact, real. But hang on that just the, a sec. I don't, I don't understand how he got there anyway. No, I know. So let's break it down. So he says that the Nephilim are the offspring of where it says the marriages, you know, it says in Genesis 6, it says that the sons of God saw the daughters of yeah, uh, yeah. man. He interprets sons of God as fallen angels and then says their offspring are called Nephilim. Now, if we just limit ourselves only to the text of Genesis 6, it doesn't say the offspring are Nephilim. It says, it says there were Nephilim on the earth in those days. It does not say that the offspring are the Nephilim. So he's, he's already jumping into Enochic, you know, Jubilees, you know, some of these other uh, ways of interpreting it. He jumps there. He does not, he totally departs the text of Genesis to make this claim. Then he goes and takes this word, this root, nun, pe, lamed, nafal, and gives all these meanings for it. And that's just not the way Hebrew works. It's almost like he's doing a Strong's Concordance kind of thing. Like he looks it up and pulls out these meanings, and then he says that they all apply. Yeah. They all apply. Yeah. Play the, they, play all, the, they all apply to... Play they, the clip again. Okay. The Nephilim means giants. Okay? The root word, now this is interesting, is nafal. Interesting. Nafal means in Hebrew to fall, to fall? lie be cast I, down to fail or reject okay so for all in, so now he's going to take all well, those let him now he's going to take all those and mash them together right the yeah yes yeah. is the children of these fallen angels were cast down failed rejects okay uh these were mutants if it's, for all intents and purposes that's exactly what the hebrew word is saying these are no, that's not no exactly it's not what the, yeah he's he's taking that's just not the way you look at it. That's not the way the language works. That's just not, that's just not the way it works. That would be like if, uh, if, if I said, uh, you know, somebody said that, that, that uh, the new movie was sick. That means that it was very good, but there were horribly ill parts within it that, uh, that uh, were not good. No, you can't take multiple meanings of a word and, and, and apply them to one specific instance. And Hebrew doesn't, you, you don't just have roots. We have stems. We have, is it, which binyan is it in, yeah. right? Is it call, pl, hifil, you know, all those verbal stems? Or is it a noun? And what noun pattern is it? You know, there's, there's, yeah. I'm not it, sure, it just, but I think you're right. It reeks of uh, strong concordance. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe Jim speaks Hebrew, but th you're right. 
But in, in any case, but it's a, a couple jumps. First of all, he's he's taking for granted. Now, earlier in his video, he he tries to argue and show why he believes the sons of God in Genesis 6 are to be understood as fallen angels. He try, he makes that argument earlier. So if someone goes and watches it, they can they can see what his arguments are. And there's there's problems with that too. Because he, one of his anchors is that whatever it is, this is why God flood. This was the reason for the flood, that it made God angry. What these sons of God did made God angry, and that's why he sent the flood. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible just says all the earth became corrupt. I mean, it, and, and the, the, every intention of the thoughts of his heart, of man's heart, was only evil continually. That was the issue of why mm-hmm. the flood. Mm-hmm. If we just stick to Genesis 6, that's what the issue was. But Staley's convinced that the reason for the flood, just like the guys we were listening to a minute ago, uh, is because of this hybridization and corruption of the human gene was a satanic effort or a demonic effort to prevent the coming of Messiah. But it seems to me like the, but, the reason that these guys all believe this is because of non-canonical literature. Yeah, exactly. Okay, next clip now. This is also All right, let's move uh, into stately. ancient Jewish writings in 135 AD. It gets more interesting to interesting. find out if these real giants really did exist. In 135 AD, we have this written. The wicked emperor Hadrian, who conquered Jerusalem with great power, Rabbi Yohanan ben Zakkai said to him, Do not boast. Had it been the will of heaven, you would have not conquered it. Rabbi Yohanan said, uh, then took Hadrian into a cave. Now catch this. He says, hey, you think that, 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 you, that we, this is a really good deal that we beat these guys. Watch this. He took him into a cave and showed him the bodies of Amorites who were buried there. One of them measured 18 cubits, approximately 30 feet in height. He said, when we were deserving, such men were defeated by us. But now, because of our sins, you have defeated us. You see that in 135 A.D., apparently there was a cave where they had bones of giants uh, that were in there, and one of them was a 30-foot-tall giant. And his point was, hey, listen, you guys defeated us only because of our sins. You did not defeat us because we were incapable of defeating you. What I don't understand about uh, not only Staley but all these guys do, do people not realize that the that the rabbis make up stories? Well, not only that, not only that. <laughs> this this text that he's citing here. Now he gives a citation because it's it's in a book called Judaism by Arthur Hertzberg from the sixties, and it's this compilation. But what the, what he Staley just quotes another internet source I found because I looked and it's actually from a a. a a certain collection of rabbinic texts that is also newer than the Middle Ages. It's uh, <laughs> Buber's edition of Tanhuma. Um, and it is in this story, comes from a, a rabbinic, a collection of rabbinic sermons from the Middle Ages. So, in other words, this is like. So, probably, in other words, made up story. Yeah, made up story in like a thousand years after. The, the reason Staley gets 135 A.D. is because he looks to when was Hadrian and Yohanan ben Zakkai. When did these characters live? And so he find, finds that out. You can find that out on the Internet. Oh, it's early 2nd century. 
and then he takes this rabbin, medieval rabbinic sermon. We have no, it's not in the Talmud, it's not in the Mishnah, it's not in any of the Midrashim, any of that. He takes this sermon, and then he says, this is fact. So he then goes back and anchors it and says, in 135 AD, we have these two guys talking, Hadrian and Yohanan ben Zakkai, like this actually happened, and they actually go to a cave, and they actually see there the bones of an Amorite that was buried there that was 18 cubits long, like 30 feet tall. And he takes that as history now. This, Rob, we were talking about earlier. And he just says it's an ancient Jewish text, just no different than Thomas Horn did with the ancient book of Jasher. You know, the, we, we read this email earlier where this, this lady was getting upset at us because uh, there were some, you know, we, we ragged on people who were, who were uh, believers. I believe Staley is a believer. Absolutely. Oh, I, don't, I don't question that. I don't question his faith. I don't question his faith. But hang on. But this is junk scholarship. This is exactly what we're talking about. This, this is what ticks me off. People are just fall for, for, you know, it's like people listen to what's, what is being said. They just buy it. Hook, line, and sinker. No, you know, no regard for, oh, let's, you know, let's check any of these facts. But it's twofold because it's not just the people who are listening who are being duped by, by bad scholarship. And not that Staley's trying to dupe people here, but it's just, you know, he hasn't done due diligence by any stretch of the imagination to make sure that what he's saying is, is real. And so, you know, he's putting something out there that is, is nonsense. So are these other guys, Chuck Missler and everybody. It's, they're putting this stuff that's out there that's nonsense. It has no basis in good scholarship. And here's the thing. It's, it's not... It's not that these men haven't been, that, I'm not saying that they're not believers or that they've been gifted with specific insight into the spiritual maturity and growth and, and maybe having, having a pastoral gifting. That's all fine and good. I think that that could be true in all these instances. But what I think they're doing is they're, they're overstepping their bounds. And I don't, that's what concerns me. Why does Missler get into Nephilim and all this kind of stuff. And, and now, why, why, at what point is he teaching solid Bible? I've heard him teach good stuff. At what point does he step beyond that and, and he starts teaching that the Canaanites worship the planet Mars? Or why does, where did uh, Tom Horn or whatever his name, you know, step, and all of a sudden he's, you know, he's a pastor for how many years teaching the Word of God, and then all of a sudden he's quoting the book of Jasher and they're bringing Enoch and Zohar but this and all is- this kind of stuff. What point are they crossing over into this nonsense, and this, why? This is exactly why why uh, Christianity thinks that the Messianic movement is nonsense, because you have this level of scholarship that these teachers bring up that's not scholarship at all. You know, when you say, oh, something's from 135 A.D., and it's not, it's from the late Middle Ages, scholars who have actually put time in to study and know how to study Look at this and say, "Are you kidding me? This isn't that scholarship. Like a, that's a sermon. That was a sermon. A guy was trying to make a point. Some rabbi was trying to make a point. Yeah. About now, now Staley's point is just the same point that rabbi was trying to make. That you know, God, God's people will defeat any enemy when he when they're on you know. No, but that's not what Sta- that's not what Staley's no, point I mean, was. That was his his my, the point that this sermon of this rabbi was making. And, and that's not what Staley's wanting to do with it. Staley wants to take that and make it a historical 
situation where he actually sees the emperor Hadrian and a rabbi walking together to a cave and he's showing them these bones, yeah. you know, and that's not, that's not reality. I, I um, hate to tell, know, I, ties over, I think we're, I, I was just saying on, on this whole Aramaic thing, it's the same thing because this, this, uh, Kaburis codex that the Aramaic Peshitta that, you know, that Roth or Netzari press is selling is from the middle ages. Well, it has a written in the, in the margin it has written, you know, from, from a hundred years after the first persecution. And so then they say, oh, they do some math and think, well, the first persecution must be Nero, so therefore it must be 163. I mean, it's the same thing. It's you're taking this medieval text and saying, and taking it as face value and denying all other testimonies, all other witnesses are silenced. We're just going to use this. And not only that, I'm going to take the book of Jasher and I'm just going to take one little section out of it. I'm going to silence the rest of the book of Jasher, and then I'm going to change judges and officers to fallen angels, and now I'm going to peddle that. It's disturbing. Yeah, well, we'll talk about, we'll talk about your paper next, uh, next week and yeah. uh, the Kaboris mo- uh, manuscript and all that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, the, what, what's really annoying to me, it's annoying and it's frustrating. You have good guys, really good guys. You know, Jim Staley's, I've talked to Jim Staley on the, on the phone uh, we've had him on this show to talk about his debate with uh, Chris Roseboro. Uh, we, you know, he, he he's he's definitely loves the Lord, but he's you know in in this kind of, in this instance he fails his his uh, his flock. He fails the flock which which uh, the Lord has has uh, given him to to help lead, and he does that by not doing due diligence. And it's the same with Missler and all these guys. They don't do due diligence. They try to twist stuff. You know, they try to have this sensational, uh, you know. Yeah. And as long as they've had people just saying yes, yes, yes all the time. Yeah. Then that's, then who grows? We, we don't grow when, and everybody just says, yeah, that's great. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. You know, we, so. If you think that we're being too hard on people, uh, if you think that we're, you know, that we should stop talking about uh, th- things. Yeah, that we, what would you have us do? Yeah. You know, what would you have me do? If I knew this, I'm walking around and I know this. I know that the book of Jasher was a fraud and that this guy's out there teaching it's saying fallen angels when in fact it doesn't. And I know, you know, or I know that this text that if, let's say I was in the audience there when Jim Staley was teaching this and I knew that this is a late medieval thing and it wasn't in fact history, it's just a, a medieval rabbinic sermon. Am I supposed to just shut up? Am I supposed to be nice? You know, I emailed Psalm 119 Ministries about this wealth of the house thing. <laughs> yeah. They've never, they haven't replied to me. No. You oh, know, 119 they, Ministries I'm, still has that. We, I've sent them proof that, 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 that their video is, is not true. And they still have it up. They don't, you know, like, no, doesn't matter to them. And maybe, so it's ma- like, maybe so they're reading you know, sometimes ministries, well, you should contact them privately first. Or, or you know what? No, we, we're responsible for the flock, and we're just going to give you the purest water. We're going to filter the water with our little filtration equipment. Well, it's, it's like people— it, And one, you can drink it. Let's go, let's go back to the, to the you know, guy sitting there with the strychnine putting it in the well. What people are saying is, oh, you should go personally to the, to the uh, person putting strychnine in the well. Even though all these people are coming to drink the water, just go to the person personally. 
you know, if you think that we're being too hard and, and that uh, we, we should not be talking about uh, ministries, uh, you know, that, that uh, might have good believers in them, well. Yeah, well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. So there. Um, all right. Well, next week we are going to talk about Rob's article and uh, his review of the Aramaic English New Testament. And we'll probably talk about some other stuff, too. I don't know. Do you think we can fill a whole show with uh, the Aramaic English New Testament? Probably. Probably. There's different. Yeah, there's stuff to talk about. That's for sure. You know, my father has written a uh, a article, by the way, on the Nephilim. Uh, actually, I think it's in a, in a book somewhere. I'll have to look for it. I think I have it. Maybe what I'll do is I'll put it on the Torah Resource blog. Look for it. Well, if if I put it up there, I think it's only two pages long. Uh, if uh, when and if I put it up there, I will post it on the Rob and Caleb Show fan page on Facebook. And yeah, we uh, please go to the fan page. By the way, vote for your favorite bumper sticker. That is up right now as you're listening to it. And uh, so go vote for your favorite bumper sticker. And once we get uh, a winner, then we will hopefully scrounge together some shekels and we'll try to actually have some bumper stickers made. And then, Can I submit an idea? Sure. Why can't we all just get along? (laughs) Oh, no. No. why Why do we have to talk about these things? They're uncomfortable. Can we just have a bumper sticker that says coexist and use like different symbols? Oh, wait, someone might. Wait, somebody already did that. All right. Well, uh, you might think that we're being mean to people. You might think that we're just trying to beat up on people. What we're actually trying to do, though, folks, this is what we're trying to do. We're trying to glorify our great God and Savior, Yeshua, the Messiah. 